For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette is already well established here uh, in his second tour of duty, uh, most memorably the first time around on the beat for the Denver Nuggets, and now covering the Broncos on a daily basis. And uh, he joins us now. Uh, Sandy Clough and Nilo Pero, Chris, uh, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. I went through uh, uh, at least Sean Payton's press conference today with a fine-tooth comb, and uh, I know that uh, you asked one of the questions regarding the salary cap. Um, tied in with the Russell Wilson situation, isn't that the big story of this offseason upcoming? How the Broncos will handle Wilson and or the salary cap. Yeah, both of them combined. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me, and Happy New Year to you, even though it might be a little late for that. But, uh, yeah, that will be the big story, <laughs> obviously, Russell Wilson. March 17th is D-Day. Um, Sean Payton said they're not going to draw it out, but let's see if they do because, uh, you know, the new league year will start five days earlier, and they might still at that point be hoping for a Hail Mary that somehow uh, Wilson, if they want him back, would agree to do something with his contract or somehow they could trade him, but I don't know how they'd be able to really trade him. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how the Broncos, in addition to Wilson and some of the other players, navigate this cap situation. As it pertains to the press conferences today, though, a little non-committal from from Sean Payton, kind of downplaying the decision-making process and saying it's a little early in the process, you know, to give a finite answer one way or the other. What's your read of the press conference today as it pertains to Russell Wilson's situation with the Denver Broncos moving forward? Well, it would be stunning if he w- were to come back. Yeah. And <laughs> really, I mean, thirty-seven million, he would be guaranteed on March seventeenth in 2025 for a quarterback who's going to be 37 then. So it's fully understandable. Uh, You know, if Russ, if they really do want him back and Russell comes to his senses and counts all the money that he potentially would make if he left and would make if he stayed, you know, maybe there is something that can be worked out in which he stays, but kind of that's a, that's a Hail Mary situation right there obviously if jared stidham had torn it up in the last two games the conversation might be a little different but uh he was okay but certainly not great well and the alternatives aren't great either but i i agree with you there's no way not that other players weren't sympathetic to his plight 
But for a whole range of reasons, no way he can go back into that locker room again and lead the team after being, let us I don't know of any other way to say it, publicly humiliated by his head coach. Yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, that's what happened. I mean, the rug was pulled out from under him. Uh, you know, I thought much better strategy would have, if they had waited, if they were eliminated from the Chargers game, they were that day, it would have been easy just to bench him for the finale. Well, you know, we're out of it. Let's get a look at the other guys. But the fact that it still occurred when they were, eligible for the playoffs really however slightly but yes still mathematically yeah. alive. Yeah. yeah and so uh no I, you know i agree with you i mean they're going to be assessing all their options and everybody at the press conference today you know huddled together before and made sure it was like okay Make sure everybody says it was a football decision with Russell Wilson. <laughs> yes. Make sure that I think the lawyers says, told them that too. Right. Make sure that everybody says that Sean Payton knew nothing about nothing, nothing. I know talk nothing. with the agent. Yeah, yeah. I thought it's almost like Watergate. You know what did Nixon <laughs> plausible know? deniability? Says, you know what did George? What did uh, Sean Payton know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, as we move along throughout the offseason here, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how these dynamics change and how they shake out. But, but you, you know, Sandy mentions here the, the options beyond Russell Wilson. Not exactly the most enticing out there. You know, Jared Stidham, all right. You know, one win, one loss in the final games of the season. So what do you think the evaluation process is like for Sean Payton? Because in one of his answers today, he's talking about, well, we got to find out where we draft. We've got to look at the free agent pool. We've got to look at what players are tradable, whatever it might shake out. What is kind of the chain of events that you think are the checklist rather that Sean Payton goes goes by when it comes to making a decision for the future of the team? Well, they're not going to have much salary cap money, so they really can't go after a marquee-type quarterback. And the type of money they might be willing to pay for a quarterback on the street might just get them a similar guy to Stidham. So you, you want Great. another one? I mean, they're gonna they're hoping, obviously – to draft a quarterback and if he's a hot shot that can maybe start next year great or you bring him along and he starts in 2025 I think uh, that would be what they're thinking right now but uh, they got a couple months to continue to ponder things well it's interesting because on the basis of what we saw last night um, I'm not sure that either quarterback looked, uh, as they say, pro-ready. Uh, I, I admire uh, J.J. McCarthy's grit, um, but I'm not sure he's even a first-round pick for anybody. And Penix, who might have been off his performance the week before in the semifinals, frankly looked bad last night, and I know he's a tough kid, and he played with uh, uh, some degree of discomfort uh, last night. He was getting knocked around. Uh, quite frequently by the Michigan pass rushers. Uh, But I don't think his stock went up last night. And if the Broncos, uh, in fact, stay where they are right now in the first round at 12, um, I think the top three guys will be gone by then. And then you're left with Penix or a McCarthy or a Bo Nix. And I, I can't see any of them, even by 2025, challenging for a starting spot on a good team. And I guess that leads me to my next question with you. 
Chris, and that's that and Peyton got into it today a little bit, uh, and I thought was fairly honest about it. Uh, eight and nine, better than last year, but glass half full or glass half empty when your record is eight and nine and you were five and 12 the year before, and you've had losing records now for seven straight years. I'd say about three-eighths full, but if they had won. <laughs> I like that. If the, like that. if they'd won yeah. on Sunday, maybe five-eighths yeah. full. I mean, I think yeah. I think a winning – they really wanted a winning season, and I think if the tone would be a lot different if they were coming off a winning season. Oh, look, we just had a winning season. We only missed the playoffs by one game right. and, and all that. But, uh, you know, having a losing season and – they did end up missing the playoffs by two games, so you can't go crazy in saying they were super close. But, uh, yeah, that made a downer on it. But overall, it was still a three-game improvement. And, uh, heck, if they improve three games next year, then it'll be 11-6. and six. Let's shift gears to George Payton here for a moment because there's obviously you heard from him, you heard from Penner, and you heard from Sean Payton. Uh, this is the first time where, you know, at least in depth, I believe we've heard from George Payton about the the contract situation and, and him approaching Russ's camp and, and, and trying to renegotiate the contract or whatever it might be. How do you think George handled this situation? Obviously, using the, 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 the proper terms of team decision, coach's decision, whatever it might be. But it's very clear that George is the one who made the trade. George is the one who gave Russell Wilson the extension, and now George is the one carrying the water to try to, you know, undo his wrongs, for lack of a better phrase, with Russell Wilson. How do you interpret George Payton's presser from today? Well, it was obviously well rehearsed <laughs> what he was going to say, and he said the same things over and over again. He was asked multiple times, well, was he threatened Russell Wilson during the bye week that he would be benched? And uh, he wouldn't address that he, he wouldn't uh, he just, was very he careful sidestepped that question yep. i mean i'm sure russell isn't just throwing that out of nowhere you know maybe uh who knows maybe it was just a casual offhand reference something like uh well you know nothing about three, money you know, in the nfl who, who is casual or offhand playing them <laughs> or something like that but uh you know we don't know the exact uh words but uh yeah, I mean, he didn't add a lot. And then, the, you know, he emphasized that Sean Payton didn't know anything about the conversation, which certainly seems kind of uh, far-fetched that uh, well, he would just call the agent and uh, talk about the guarantee and all that. And right. then Sean knows nothing about it. I well, can't it, that it, at all. It, what Sean Payton knew at that time was that he didn't want Russell Wilson back mm -hmm. as his quarterback in 2024. That's what Sean Payton knew, and I'm sure he communicated that and has uh, another Watergate phrase, plausible deniability, and saying, well, I wasn't privy to the phone call. No one ever suggested that you were on the phone call with the agent. That would be the general manager's right. job. I mean, a secretary could do that and convey <laughs> whatever would be in the best financial interests. He, he kept saying best interest, best interest, best interest. Whenever they say best interest, and especially if it's a GM like Peyton, they're talking about best financial interests. And they clearly tried to get him, not necessarily to void that part of his contract, but to adjust it. Right. 
cle- clearly that. Yeah, happened. they wanted to push the guarantee back about a year or so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe that even if Sean Payton didn't know the phone call was going to take place, that Sean Payton didn't, or excuse me, that George Payton didn't report back to Sean. On, oh, <laughs> well, no well deal, that didn't work. <laughs> that didn't yeah, work. Yeah, I can't imagine he talked to him and said said nothing, you know, for two months. <laughs> well, especially since Sean Payton acknowledged today that two, three, or four times a day he speaks with George Payton. Do you think, and, and, and this again is cynical, and I'm asking you to speculate, maybe that's unfair, but I wanted to address this with you before we let you go, that George Payton now exists as kind of a foil for Sean Payton, uh, I hesitate to go as far as to say scapegoat, but if Sean Payton needs a scapegoat, he's probably not going to have Russell Wilson in 2024. Uh, George Payton would be a convenient person to keep on as someone you could blame for past failures that Sean Payton seems eager not to take any responsibility for. Not that he should, but anything that happened before he got here is not any of his business, he seems to think. Uh, would Peyton be useful to the Broncos in that way that he'd be a symbol of past sins and if things continue to uh, go sideways, well, it all started with moves that George Peyton made, draft picks that George Peyton made. Well, that might be a bit too cynical way of looking at it. I think that uh, George Peyton, if in fact he sticks around He's an astute personnel man, and, you know, I mean, you're going to need somebody to give you some advice on those second, third, fourth, fifth round picks and and what have you. I mean, he's a good, you know, he's obviously made some mistakes, but overall he has a good personnel history. I mean, I specifically asked George today, uh, who's in charge? Who makes the final decision? And he claims claims that uh, it's a collaborative effort. That's what they all say. That's they've what they never had a disagreement, and it's never come up. So that seems quite well, odd. That, that, I mean, it, every... It's not even in a healthy relationship like that, you're going to have disagreements. It's, it's just balderdash to claim that you don't. But I will give you this. You know George Payton from your time in Minnesota a lot better than we know George Payton. So uh, you're, you're, you're the one I wanted to ask about that. You're the only one in town who knows George Payton from his uh, time in Minnesota and, and knows him very well. And I've had... Uh, plenty of people tell me uh, who I have great respect for in the football industry that uh, he is a very good personnel man, but I think uh, he's, he's forever tied, whether this is entirely fair or not, letter. he's forever tied to Russell Wilson. And if Russell Wilson isn't around, uh, he's, he's a useful replacement <laughs> for Russell Wilson. And I, I think in, in that sense, but uh, Peyton does, seem fairly insistent on the idea that he likes uh, George Payton and works well with him. So uh, we'll have to see what happens. As always, Chris, our thanks. And, uh, yes, it's never too late to say Happy New Year. Okay. Great being on with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. There he goes. Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette, who uh, covered the Nuggets during his previous life. You uh, and I. As far back as the old Rocky Mountain News. Many, wow. many years ago. The legendary Rocky yes. Mountain News. Yes. I've heard many of stories yes. from our mutual friend Terry Fry about yes. the good old Rocky yes. Mountain News. News. Yes. You and I think the same way about this Peyton Peyton dynamic. 
Yeah, I because I, I I think you know who are the guys? Clearly, this is not an especially attractive GM job, given the fact that the coach has so much control and authority. And I've been saying for months the best GM the Broncos could hire would have been Adam Peters. Well, Adam Peters is not going to come here to work with Sean Payton when he's a glorified secretary. Uh, He has much uh, uh, more attractive offers out there, including one to remain in San Francisco, where (laughs) they've been over the last, I would say, five years now, um, with the exception of uh, uh, an avalanche of injuries, the best team over the last five years in the National Football Conference. Absolutely. I, I, I think you Epitome of consistency. Say that. Yeah, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out because if you're George Payton, or to your point, Cindy, the Broncos, like any quote-unquote A-type guys for that position are probably not going to want to take it due to Sean Payton being yeah. there and the other dynamics. So if you're George Payton, is the only way up to kind of just stick with the course and let Sean Payton do his thing. And if, you know, let's say two, three years from now, Sean Payton and company got this thing figured out. They're playing in an AFC championship game, made the playoffs back-to-back years, maybe even won a division. That's the redemption arc for George Payton. I don't know what redemption yeah. arc there is right now just yeah. to leave elsewhere in, in the midst of this turmoil. I'm fascinated by this Washington situation. Oh, now. They're of course, be Rivera's uh, firing was inevitable, but they, they're in good draft position. I think they're in pretty good shape with respect to the cap. They're going to be powerful. And Harris, who was second in the running for uh, the ownership position here in Denver, mm-hmm. became the owner of the Washington Commanders. All with Mr. Uh, Magic Johnson and company and, as well. Right, right. But he did something, speaking of George Payton, George Payton's best friend in the world, Rick Spielman, former general manager, under whom Payton worked in Minnesota, former general manager of the Vikings. He has been called in, along with Bob Myers, the legendary general manager of the dynastic Golden State Warriors, to kind of sift through candidates and help Harris out. I think it's a brilliant move by Harris. Absolutely. And one of the figures that they're talking about as a GM candidate, who you know will be vetted, is Adam Peters. Uh, So I, I think that... That's a great job for a GM. Yes. That's a great job because you'll be able, presumably, I get the sense that they're going to hire a GM and then have the GM hire the coach, which is the way it usually goes. There are now some exceptions to that. And listen, George Payton serves at the favor of Sean Payton, not the other way around. Absolutely. (laughs) Right? Absolutely. We know who wears the pants right now. Right. And we know of other situations where the coach is calling the shots and has – final say uh bill belichick doesn't even pretend to hide it anymore he said the other day at a press conference well somebody has to have final say but we will collaborate and i'm willing to listen to uh, different suggestions on what a a new arrangement might uh, look like and uh, it is said he has some sons on the coaching staff whose families i assume would rather like to remain absolutely in the uh, greater new england area and the uh, boston community and that might be uh, uh, appealing to uh, the father as well as uh, the two sons on his uh, very small coaching staff. When we come back, we'll uh, 
Hear more from Sean Payton at the Broncos post-mortem press conference today at which uh, Chris Thomason was in attendance, our uh, guest of just a few moments ago. And uh, next, we'll talk about the Avalanche, who, according to Jared Bednar, their head coach, played the most complete game of the season last night in beating the Boston Bruins in a 4-3 shootout game. It's next right here on Mile High Sports. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. DeBrus gets the go-ahead. Works it in with speed to the far circle. Walks in, and a good club check by Georgia. Here comes Val. Works it in. Nachushkin slow toward the front of the net. Hold, shoot, and score! Mark Mosier on the call for Altitude Sports, both on the call of the last of the three shootout saves made by Alexander Georgiev and then the game winner. Uh, the only goal scored in the shootout notched by Valery Nashushkin, who uh, will not officially get credit for that goal statistically, but it is a game-winning goal yep. for, uh, I think, probably... The third or fourth most valuable player on the Avalanche uh, right now and uh, throughout the season so far played 26 minutes, 55 seconds last night. Now, understand it was a 65-minute game, but uh, <laughs> McKinnon and Rantanen played more than 30 minutes, and McCarr played almost 31 and a half minutes last night. Taze played 29.50. Boy, they're leaning on these half-dozen top-end guys more than Bob Hartley ever did with his top-end guys. And Bob was famous for playing Sackick and Forsberg and Hayduke and Tangay and Blake and uh, Bork when they were injuries. Adam Foote, he'd, he'd, uh, oh, yeah. especially the forwards. Um, I'm not sure Forsberg was as appreciative of that as uh, uh, maybe uh, others might have been, but... Uh, in in this case, that's being done out of necessity. And uh, watching the game last night alongside the national championship game between Michigan and Washington, um, the Avalanche-Bruins game was, of course, much more competitive, two high-end teams. Yep. Uh, Bruins played well. Uh, the Avs, I thought, had much the better of it in the first period. Boston pushed back in the second. I thought the third period was fairly even. 
Uh, the Avs were down one nothing, but led 2-1 and 3-2. Boston came back to tie on both occasions. Uh, the Avalanche survived a four-on-three power Huge. play in basically the last two minutes of the overtime period where they scored the other day uh, right. in, in 32 seconds uh, with a four-on-three advantage of their own. They killed it off last night. Uh, most of the Boston players thought that's where they really lost the game. That was their chance to win yep. and get the extra point, and uh, they didn't get it, and, and the Avs uh, are pretty good now. Uh, as an overtime team, as a shootout team, and uh, Nishushkin gets the winner last night, and Bednar called it uh, perhaps the most complete game the Avs have played this year. Well, that's a good sign. And you and I were talking right before we came back, goaltending is the big issue for this team right now. But you, it is. You mentioned it. Two quality opponents, both with 55 points, obviously, after the Avalanche won last night. But it's funny how Nachushkin, right, so much turmoil and curiosity around his name entering the season, and now he's yeah. been at the forefront. Nathan he McKinnon. Has been. One of, if not the best player in the NHL this season. And so you need to continue to allow McCarr to get back to form. You got to get some of these other younger guys back to form, whether it's on the ice or off the ice issues. And you want those complete victories because the one benefit that you can give the Avalanche is the core of the team that won the Stanley Cup is still here. This team understands how to navigate the trials and tribulations. It's getting the other guys up to speed, specifically the goaltending, because the goaltending is going to be hot and cold all year. It's going to be hard to establish any consistency against any opponent moving forward. Well, uh, there hasn't been nearly enough hot and uh, been a lot of cold. And uh, yes, Georgiev's won 22 games. And uh, certainly he's to be saluted for that. It's the highest figure in the league. And uh, goaltenders uh, are, are critical, even in the regular season, especially in the playoffs, but yes, during the regular season as well. But the other numbers, 894 save percentage, yeah, not very good. 297 goals against and only one shutout. Not very good. And you're hard-pressed to find another team in the NHL with two goaltenders whose save percentages are south of 900. Right. That's uh, that's hard to find, especially on a uh, contending team. And under those circumstances, the fact that they're 26-12-3, I think they pretty much through the first half of the season, and we're exactly halfway through now at 41 games, I, I think with 55 points, they've maxed out considering how shaky the goaltending's been, injuries on defense, poor performance yeah. at times yeah. from certain defensemen. Uh, now Byram's out. Manson's out. Malinsky played last night on the third pairing with Caleb Jones, and Jones was steady, didn't play a lot. Malinsky was terrific, scored a key goal, yep. was a plus one, and played almost 15 and a half minutes last night as a third tandem uh, defenseman. Uh, I thought Gerard was fine. Johnson was steady. Uh, Taves and McCarr were what you would normally expect from uh, Taves and McCarr. Right. And of course, the Boston people are crazy about McCarr on a couple of levels. <laughs> One, I, I w- was reading uh, today in the Boston Globe, and I, I don't know it that it came from the piece, but from a reader reaction that uh, it's only a bunch of young, stupid kids who are comparing McCarr to Bobby Orr. Um, Wayne Gretzky is not young, and he's certainly not stupid. It was no. Wayne Gretzky who made the most notable comparison during the Stanley Cup Finals in 2022 yep. on TNT between 
Kyle McCarr and Bobby Orr. And Wayne Gretzky never played against Bobby Orr that I can recall because Orr had retired by the mm-hmm. time Gretzky came to the NHL. Let's all do quick. But Gretzky knew all about Bobby Orr, and I grew up watching Bobby Orr um, probably with less pleasure than some Boston fans did because I was a Ranger fan, but Bobby Orr to me is incomparable. But when you talk about the breadth of McCarr's game, and I think that's the point that Sean Brotar has made. Right. I, I always joke with Sean. He jokes with me about this. The first time, even before Gretzky said what he said, that that comparison was made. And it was made because it kept showing up on graphics. Uh, right. Playoff point per game uh, totals and uh, fastest to certain statistical uh, landmarks uh, that uh, McCarr was as dynamic a young defenseman shooting right-handed uh, right. or was a lefty shot, uh, as, as we've seen in, in quite some time. And when Sean first said that, I recoiled in horror, but uh, I, I've since come around to understanding the context in which he uh, made that comparison. And it's you, you watch uh, Makar, uh, especially in three-on-three situations, and you just marvel. At oh, he's sensational. Now, Orr was in a class by himself, and I can only imagine how Orr in his prime would have handled three-on-three overtime. Nobody else would have ever touched the puck. No, no. They actually played Gretzky and Orr one time, April 25th, 1980, at the Winnipeg Arena, off the quick Google search here as well. So there's a little hockey fact. Was that that some kind of exhibition? It must have been. Must have been, because Orr had retired by then. Or yeah, or well, for the sake of conversation, I but, do. But he knows right. who Bobby Orr is, That's, uh, right? So right. the idea that only some young whippersnapper uh, analyzing the game or commenting on it would make the the comparison. No, Wayne Gretzky made the comparison, and he was very clear about it right. when he was, you know, he got some arched eyebrows uh, in response. But he didn't know uh, he in this respect. He is reminiscent of Orr. But uh, to me, I've always been in the camp of Bobby Orr, uh, not Gretzky, not Gordie Howe, Mm -hmm. not Lemieux, uh, Bobby Orr being the greatest player who ever lived. Because he revolutionized the game. Right. And, uh, yes, it was a shorter career. But based on peak performance. Oh, there's nobody like him. There's nobody who's Bobby Orr. And Bobby Orr, by the time the knee injuries became so problematic. He was still the best defenseman in the NHL. He wasn't Bobby Orr in his prime, but he was still better than everybody else. Right. Which tells you a lot about his stature in the way. And the Bruins had he been fully healthy, even throughout his time in Boston, if he had been fully healthy, they won two Stanley cups in 70 and 72. They should have won in 71 when he was still healthy. They played the Flyers in the final and lost in 74. They would have won that series yeah. with Orr in his prime. They would have won that yeah. series. They would they would, have, would have won at least four cups with Bobby Orr. Yeah. Should have won at least four. His injuries and, you know, circumstances. Sports is a That's funny exactly thing. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think five, six years from now, if the Avalanche win another Stanley Cup, I guarantee you there will be people who will still say they should have won more. And my response to that would always be, hey, the greatest hockey player of all time, 
playing with the big bad Bruins, who were the best team in hockey for probably five or six years in the late 60s, early 70s. They only won two. Yeah. It's hard to win. You need luck. Absolutely, you need luck. You need luck. It is not, it's not just a pre, which is what makes these dynasties and all the other sports as well. Like I even think back to Tampa, obviously, when Colorado. When they went two in a row, that's I, a I, tremendous I, achievement. That in is this nothing, day and age. nothing to scoff at, right? I mean, all the other sports, look at what the Warriors accomplished. Obviously, Jordan's Bulls. You can yeah. think of the Yankees in yeah. the 90s. I mean, that that sure. is very, very difficult. Oh, it's to hard. It's very hard. And and the Yankees in the in the aftermath of uh, uh, winning those, what was it, four yep. World Series? I mean, they were in contention, but right, they, they, I mean, they only got one more got in back to the World Series. I think once, twice. Yeah, they lost yeah. Arizona and they lost to, to uh, Florida, uh, Florida, and then they won in yeah. '09 again with a. And they won in '09, but, but Torrey wasn't the manager anymore. That yeah. really wasn't those uh, Yankee teams. But it, it's it's hard to win. People talk about the Yankees only having won the one time. Yeah, over. Uh, that period since Tory was right, right, was fired. That's a right? big that talking 09. point. And the Dodgers have won one, and that was in a pandemic year Which in twenty twenty. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, it's, how, it's in sports, it's harder to win than people think. Right, and, and, and even it's the, certainly hard to win more than once. Even the best of the best. I mean, Mariano Rivera is, is consensus best closer in the history of baseball, and he lost them that World Series to Arizona. And had something to do with their blowing a 3-0 lead but against they, Boston. And, and this is the consensus. A few years later. Yeah, this is the consensus best closer in the game. Yeah. Consensus. And had his, it was so much a part of postseason yeah. baseball, you forget that, yes, he had his bad moments. Right. Had, I mean, even look, even you know, football. He look failed, at, too, at times. Look at the Dallas Cowboys. Haven't yeah. been back to an NFC Championship game since right. 1995. Absolutely. And the you know? only question, the only question that people have going into these playoffs about the Dallas Cowboys is not whether they were a good regular season team. They most certainly have been, especially in recent years. Can you win in the playoffs? And even the owner, Jerry Jones, has left open the possibility that, you know, he might react in that way too, which would be unfavorable uh, if Dallas were not to beat, let's say, Green Bay this weekend. That there's another candidate for, uh, uh, or another place where Bill Belichick might be a serious candidate. Or Jim Harbaugh. Wouldn't that be fascinating? Oh, we shall Those see. Jim Harbaugh and Jerry Jones together. Oh. That's total speculation. But then uh, we will continue on. And uh, we will hear Sean Payton's answer to a great question that our friend Scott Hastings from Altitude posed today at the uh, post-mortem. Great question by Scott. He said, I ask players all the time, what are you going to work on in the offseason or what have you worked on during the offseason uh, when – uh, talking to players during training camp. Sean Payton, what are you going to be working on personally and professionally Ooh. during the upcoming offseason? And we'll hear Payton's answer next, right here on My High Sports. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I think this answer from Sean Payton to a question posed by Scott Hastings at Altitude Sports today might have been the most revealing of the entire uh, series of uh, answers given by Sean Payton, George Payton, and Greg Penner, uh, the principal owner, the day-to-day operator uh, on the uh, ownership scene for the Denver Broncos. And it was a question that was uh, very simply phrased. Players get asked all the time, what are you going to do in the offseason to get better? What have you done in the offseason to get better? How about Sean Payton personally and professionally? What does he have in mind for the upcoming offseason? There's a couple things. Um, Our tight red zone was awful. You know, and so, all right, I got to look closely at, you know, my sequencing and what I'm doing calling it. You know, inside the, what I mean by that is goal to go. We finished here, you know. So our red zone numbers are past the 20, how many touchdowns, percentage, et cetera. You know, our, our opportunities, I think we're decent. You know, I think we were 50-something that measured ninth or 10th. Um, but inside the 10, first and goal to go, that wasn't good enough. Um, third down, you know, there were a handful of things, and many of you have asked great questions about, hey, your offense, your offense. And overall, you know, it, it was uh, we collectively, starting with me, it, it, it wasn't good enough. We didn't take advantage of enough field position opportunities in games. Um, I want to get my eyes fixed. So I call the right play, and I don't mess up and call a wrong play on a play that happened one time this year. That was embarrassing. Um, but I think the here's the thing. I think it's easier when you get older and more secure with like who you are and what you do. And, and when you're younger, I think oftentimes you can be very defensive with certain things. Um, the one thing that I know is how to win. And, and like sometimes it may not be that you got 480 yards, but, but understanding the strength of your team and then, and then playing to that. And I think one of the challenges that I had this year, all of us collectively, is like, man, how do we match up on the other side? Uh, how's this game unfolding? I know some of you had questions about a couple timeouts, and but half-yard line, end of the first half against Vegas, I'm calling that timeout again 99 out of 100. Just look at the statistics or field position, balls. And the same one at New England, really. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. The last 30, 35 seconds of that answer, where you see him get his dander up a little bit after some reasonably reflective remarks, um, not self-aggrandizing, which he has a tendency to be, but at the end of the little defensive going back and because even the network announcers who are loathe to criticize called him out um, on the New England stuff post-game. And even at the time the other day when they went on that 98-yard touchdown drive at the end of the half and he called timeout, saved him a few seconds. And, of course, they made a big running play and after they got the ball out to the 30-yard line, they were going for at least three. Mm-hmm. 
if not seven, and they ended up getting the seven. Um, the one statement that I heard in there, pure son Peyton, one thing I know is how to win. Spoken. One thing I know, implication being the one thing I know about myself is more than anybody in this organization exactly right. who has never been part of a championship team. Anyone in front office, ownership, uh, any of the players well, here now, uh, at least in Bronco uniforms, uh, I guess Wilson is technically in a Bronco uniform still, and he did win a Super Bowl. I'm saying here, Sean Payton is saying, I know one thing that they don't know, and I know how to win. That's how it came across to me. And otherwise, I, I could see he was trying to be self-effacing. Absolutely. And, and even with a joke about needs to have his eyesight checked because he called the wrong play earlier this year, and that was embarrassing. I think I remember the situation. It seemed like, why is he calling that? Yeah. And he, he just called the wrong play, which, you know, I suppose can happen. Uh, although I remember a story once here real quick. Um the last game of the 2015 regular season, the Broncos were playing the Chargers, trying for the number one seed. Yep. They had made the playoffs, but they hadn't clinched the number one seed. They had to beat the Chargers to get that done. And the first half, they're struggling with the Chargers. And it gets to halftime. And all week, Gary Kubiak had been telling anybody who would listen, for the first time, Brock Osweiler's our quarterback. He played great on Monday night. Yep. He's our guy. He could throw, he told Jim Nance and uh, Phil Sims, he could throw five interceptions on Sunday. He's still my guy, quote-unquote. Mm -hmm. And um, the sideline reporter for CBS, Tracy Wolf, talks to both coaches coming out of the locker room at halftime, including Gary Kubiak. And Gary Kubiak tells Tracy Wilson, He's got one more series. Yeah. <laughs> and and then we may be looking to make the change. And Nance and Sims, as she's reporting them, are speechless in the book. In, in the book. Yep. They're absolutely speechless. It's just the opposite of what they have been told in production meeting right. by Gary Kubiak. And the problem in the first half was what, what I used to refer to as the three-headed play-calling monster. You had Gary Kubiak, you had Greg Knapp, the late, mm -hmm. great Greg Knapp. I, I think Greg Knapp was one of the best quarterback coaches the Broncos have ever had here, and a fine offensive mind. But Gary would call plays, and Dennison would call plays, and Dennison was up in the booth. And Greg Knapp would have to deal with the fallout from play calls that weren't, coming in the right way. Right. And so Brock Osler would come out of the game, couldn't yell at Rick Dennison. He's up in a booth. Uh, he couldn't yell at Kubiak. He's the head coach. So he yelled at Greg Knapp. Right. And it wasn't Rick Knapp. It was calling all the plays. He might have called one or two. But I remember Brock Osler at one point saying, you guys have a laminated sheet in front of you. Why are the plays coming in garbled? You've, you're looking yeah. on a laminated sheet and reading off it, and the plays are coming in garbled. And that was the point when he got upset with Nap that Gary Kubiak saw that and said he's lost his poise, he's lost his cool, 
got to put Peyton in there. The truth of the matter is that Peyton Manning didn't care if the plays came in garbled or came in right. If he thought they were good plays, he'd ungarble them. Yes. If he thought they were bad plays, he'd call it. That's the difference. He'd call it. Yeah. That was the difference. Brock could do it, but it took him a little longer, and he got frustrated. Manning, who had lost many of his skills physically, still had it up here. Yep. And Manning basically called the game. No more three-headed monster. Yeah. Manning came in and called the game. He didn't play that much better than Osweiler had played, but he took control of the huck. And he, and he, he wasn't flustered. He and brought, so, so that, it, that there's that story. So the bi- business about calling the wrong play, yes, he looked at the laminated sheet and he, he called the wrong play. Uh, that, that happens. That happens. Uh, but the, the thing, the one thing I know is how to win. That's Sean Payton. Yeah. That's the real Sean Payton. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and you have to give him credit. And that remains to be seen, at least here. 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 And it's been a while since he's won. You, I mean, now, let, but to our point from the last segment about the avalanche, it is hard to win. It's not like, you know, Belichick and everything that's accomplished. It's not easy to win. The fact that you have won says a lot about no, your Belichick said to do that it. at the beginning of the year when they asked him, well, what do you tell fans who are wondering about the decline right. in the last few years? Uh, and why they should be optimistic about 2023. And he he used three words. Four, actually. The last 25 years. Exactly right. <laughs> so Exactly right. Last 25 and years. And as he should say. Last 25 years. Right. That's why they should be optimistic. And, and that's where I'm... It turns out the fans were right to be pessimistic. And but that, that was a good answer from Belichick. But the similarity between Peyton Manning and Drew Brees, and, I, and obviously I, I do think Peyton's a good coach, and, and I don't know if, how many of those situations may or may not have happened in New Orleans, but the point you make about Manning, that speaks to cohesion, but also the gravitas of a figure like a Peyton Manning, where there's certain people that when you rally the troops, the voice shines through. Now, Brock Osweiler can't do that. Clearly, Russell Wilson can't do that. But there's certain guys that, for lack right. of a better phrase, oh. are cut above right. that echo that confidence, yep. whether or not they get it from their own and, people. And Breeze and Peyton were kindred spirits in New Orleans. They, oh. they spoke the same language. Yes. They thought the game the same way. They're both kind of wonky. Yeah, about it. That's why it worked. Yeah, it worked. And, and it worked. But for him to expect that to work the same way with Wilson, and then get angry at Wilson when it didn't work that way, even though Wilson played a lot better, and a man with less of an ego could have simply said, "Hey, we're six and five. They were nowhere near six and five last year. Right. We won five in a row." We've turned it around, and he's playing a lot better. And, yeah, I'm going to take my fair share of the credit for that. But his ego wouldn't allow him to do it because, to him, things have to be perfect. And if they aren't, it's almost always somebody else's fault. Right. And that's not exclusive to just Not always, as he acknowledged there, but almost always. I'm sure we all know multiple people in our life that act like that. Right? That's a personality trait. Yeah. It's not exclusive to the NFL or but coaching. You know, saying, no, I know. In answer to a very good question, I know how to win. That was the yeah. most important thing he wanted to get across, yeah. in the, at least in that answer. Welcome I to the Sean Payton era. Welcome I to the experience. To I know one thing. I know how to win. Yeah. All right. Our thanks to Danny Bailey, the great Danny Bailey. And... Uh, El Perro, thank you so much for sitting in today. And uh, I suspect we'll have you back uh, uh, here tomorrow. We'll have some fun. Uh, We'll have a lot of fun tomorrow as well. And uh, we will uh, have a nugget game to look ahead to as they take on 
I think a team that might be the hottest team in basketball right now, strangely Ooh. enough, the Utah Jazz, who've been beating good teams yes, on have. the road of late. Excited. Most recently, the Bucks of Milwaukee. All right, that's uh, all ahead tomorrow. We'll see you then right back here on Mile High Sports. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.